Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And today I want to start a new series about being a disciple of Jesus. And today I want to talk about what it's all about. The essence of discipleship really is loving the Lord. That's what God is looking for. You know, the first commandment is that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, our mind, our strength. And, and that's what salvation is all about, is that our hearts would be changed so that we now have this love relationship with the Lord. And so in this series, we're going to see what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, and I believe the essence of discipleship is a love relationship with the Lord, with the Lord Jesus. Uh, in other words, a true disciple is someone who loves the Lord and wants to express that in his life. Try to please and glorify Christ is his main motivation. His obedience is not a legalistic uh, obedience to laws and rules, but the obedience of love. Um, Jesus said in John 14, If you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, the keeping of the commandments is an expression of love. Okay, once you remove the the element of love from it, and it becomes just um, keeping of rules, then it, then that loses its meaning and its its excitement. But when it's an overflow of our love, then it is a joy. So the motivation of a true disciple is loving the Lord, and so the beginning of discipleship. And what I want to particularly share with you today is that it all begins with the gospel. The heart, you see, must first of all be converted. Before you can be a disciple uh, of Jesus, a true disciple, your heart must be converted to Christ through the gospel. And that's what the gospel is for, is to win your heart for Jesus. And once your heart is converted... That results in us receiving his love and giving our love to him. In other words, that the effect of the gospel should be to win our hearts so that we are now in this love relationship. It starts by receiving his love and then that creates love in our hearts and we start wanting to give our heart to him. And then in discipleship that gets worked out in the details of our life. But it's that love, that essence of love, that is so important. If our works get dis disconnected from that love for the Lord, then they become dead works. Uh, in, the, in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 2, the Ephesians, it was a dynamic church. They were doing so many good works. But Jesus said, you've left your first love. And that was an issue because if you're doing all these works, because that's the thing to do, but you, it isn't coming out of that love for Jesus, then it loses its, its true value. And so we want to see this um, point is so uh, clearly made by Jesus himself in Mark chapter 14. Let's go to Mark 14 verse 3, and it says that they were in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, and as uh, Jesus sat at the table, a woman, who actually was Mary, one of the Marys, uh, came, having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Now this is, was very expensive and 
we find out in the story this probably was worth a year's wages. This, is, this was worth thousands of pounds in our money. Uh, this was probably her life savings. And this was very expensive oil and perfume and in a beautiful alabasca flask. And notice what she did. She broke this flask and poured it on his head. She anointed. She poured it out upon Jesus. And this was a beautiful picture uh, of extravagant love. This was Mary giving her all to Jesus. This was an act of worship. And in a sense, the, the, the broken flask was a picture of even her own soul, that her self-contained, her self, uh, um, hardened soul was, was now broken. Um, in other brokenness in the right sense of the word God doesn't want to break us as such but he wants to break us of our pride he wants to break us of that thing in us that holds on to ourself and that brokenness that the love of Jesus caused in her caused her to want to just pour everything out on Jesus and so she was uh she 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 let go of all her self-restraint and she gave herself completely to Jesus. And so the pouring out of that oil was a picture of her pouring out her soul, her very life to Jesus, giving herself to Jesus. And it was like a sweet smelling savor uh, offering to him. And this was an act of worship, and it was extravagant, it was over the top. In fact, she gets told off by Judas in particular and the other disciples, what a waste. You've, you've just given all of this away. It could have been used in other ways. You've wasted it by pouring it all out on Jesus. And, um, but Jesus says, no, she, what she has done unto me is a good thing. Um, in fact, it was the right response for, to God's extravagant love for us. You see, that, that kind of extravagant love, the, the African term for it is plenty too much, over the top, uninhibited. That kind of uninhibited love is the kind of love that God has for us, you see. And the only appropriate response to that kind of love is that we give him that uninhibited love back praise God that we give him our whole heart that is the response God is looking for uh, one word for this is prodigal by the way prodigal means over the top we think about the parable of the prodigal son and uh, that the, the reason it's called that is that he was over the top in his sinning uh, but really, it sh the parable should be called the parable of the prodigal father because it was really the father who was over the top in his love. I mean, the son had sinned against him so terribly. He basically said, I, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. I can't wait till you die. I want it all now. And um, in the people listening to that story would have been scandalized. And now that the son wants to come back, once he's hit rock bottom, they would have been thinking, no way should the father take him back. And, and at the very best, the father would be kind of just waiting, waiting to tell the, the son off. 
And so in the story, they're shocked when the father sees the son on the horizon because he was looking out for his beloved son. And as soon as he sees him in, in those rags, he loses his dignity, he tucks in his tunic and he runs to greet his son. And he says, that's what God is like in his love. He's, he's uninhibited in his love for us. Praise God, even when we've sinned. And so this is a picture of God's love and of our response to God in giving him our heart, the love of our heart. And the tremendous statement by Jesus is in verse 9, Mark 14, 9. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And so what Jesus was saying is that whenever the preaching of the gospel is to be done, this, what this woman has done and what it symbolizes should be told because this is an important part of the gospel. So why did God connect this act of extravagant love with the preaching of the gospel? And what it is, is it's because it's a demonstration of what the gospel is designed to achieve. It's designed to achieve the total conversion of our heart to the Lord, so that we give him our heart, our love, our worship, our surrender, our, and, and our lives to him. That's why Jesus said, this must be told. This, she is your example. This is what God wants from his sacrifice. Is he not worthy? of your love and your surrender. This is what Jesus was, this was the joy set before him when he faced the cross, that he would have your heart, that he would have your love, and that you would be with him forever. And so that's why this picture of Mary should always accompany the gospel. Although I don't know many evangelists who actually do tell this story. Anyway, discipleship, you see, follows on from that converted heart. If you don't, haven't got that conversion of heart to love the Lord, discipleship becomes a rather kind of boring list of rules and what and do's and don'ts and all the rest because you don't know what the spirit, the essence of discipleship is that your heart, now that your heart loves the Lord, now you want to please him. Now you want to do and, and you, want to ha you want to be and you want to do. You want to be like Jesus and you want to do what he says to do. You want to glorify him and that's where you need the word of God to teach you how to live that life. But it's all about living unto him, pleasing him. So discipleship follows on from this. Once the gospel is received and the heart is converted, then discipleship is the outworking of this love relationship with Christ in the details of our life. And that's why the original word for a Christian was a disciple. It was only later on that they begun, that we begun to be called Christians. But before them, originally, if you check in the book of Acts, the standard name for believers was disciples. That's who we, we are. All true believers are disciples. Discipleship is not some kind of optional extra for, for committed Christians. No, the very fact that you are a born-again Christian means that in some, degree, some sense of the word, you have given your heart to Jesus. You love him because you have received his love by faith. And you know what he did for you on the cross. And you know who he is. And, and, and you love him and you gave in your heart to him. And so you are now, your life changes. You cannot receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord without your life changing.
and starting on the life of discipleship. If someone is not a disciple of Jesus, they are not a true Christian. A disciple is a dedicated follower of Jesus. And that, this explains why the Great Commission is in two parts. First, we must preach the gospel. Uh, that's, the gospel means the good news. All right, The good news of what? The good news of God's love. We preach the gospel of God's love, which is designed to convert their hearts to, to the person of Jesus, not to a religion. And that we read in Mark 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news of God's love, to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And notice this first stage is described as believing. That's, the, that's a heart response. It's not talking about intellectual assent, but this is the heart. Trusting, receiving God's love. And he believes, and that first stage leads to baptism because the first expression of a converted heart is to declare publicly through baptism their love and commitment to Christ and that is now becomes the entry into the second stage which is discipleship and so the gospel does its work in converting the heart and the, the response from that the first act of obedience is, is baptism the, the open declaration of our love for the Lord. Then the second stage is in Matthew 28, which starts with baptism. He says in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So phase two, phase one is to convert the heart through the gospel. Phase two is to make disciples. In other words, for the changing of the heart to be converted into a wholesale changing of the life and the lifestyle. Go therefore and make disciples, followers of Jesus from all the nations, baptizing them. Notice the beginning of discipleship is baptism. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. So notice discipleship starts with baptism. That's the entry point. The first ordained act of obedience to Christ. That's where we declare our love and our commitment to him. Uh, and discipleship then in the ongoing sense of the word it focuses on the word of God he says teaching them all things that I've commanded you teaching them not just intellectually but teach them to observe it it's a, it's a very practical thing and so it's 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 about knowing his word and doing his word and that's for a disciple because they love the Lord now they want to know him they want to do his word but all that obedience to the Word of God is to flow from a converted heart. Hopefully that's why you're listening right now. It's because you love the Lord and you want to know Him better. You want to know His Word better so that your life may glorify Him all the more. And so it all flows from that converted heart of love for Christ. That is the fruit of the Gospel. So notice Mark 16 and Matthew 28 hold the two parts of the Great Commission together and the one thing that connects them both is baptism. Stage one results in baptism, the gospel. Stage two begins with baptism and that's discipleship. Today I want to focus on stage one, that's the conversion of our heart to Christ through the gospel. Without that there's no discipleship, just rule keeping. 
The heart of the gospel, the essence of the gospel, is the declaration of God's amazing, unconditional love for man. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so when you share the gospel, if you are not communicating the love of God that is behind everything, and shown in the death of Christ, shown in his resurrection, shown in everything, then you're not communicating the gospel properly. Because the gospel is designed to convert men's hearts to loving God. Remember it says, we love him, we love God, because he first loved us. And so, how do we create love in their hearts for God, for the Lord Jesus Christ? It's by by them having a revelation of God's love for them. That's what converts the heart. Yes, we must talk about sin and judgment, uh, and it's a big mistake to avoid those subjects because we think, oh, well, people don't want to hear about that. Because, But the result, you see, when you do share about sin and judgment is actually to magnify the love of Christ because we will tell them about sin and about hell and, but when we show them what Jesus did to save them from sin and hell, they will love him all the more. You see, if they don't think they need anything to be saved from, there's no big deal, then however you describe the cross, it will, won't mean much to them. But if they understand that they are wretched sinners and that they are doomed to hell at any moment, they will be so grateful that Jesus died for them. It will, the whole thing will take on meaning. There's a principle, actually, that he who is forgiven much loves much. So if the person doesn't think he's been forgiven of much, then he's not going to love the Lord much. But if the person realizes he's been forgiven of so much, then he will love God a lot. So it's important to share about the, the sin and hell, uh, what Jesus has saved us from. In fact, we can see this principle in Luke 7, 47. I'm saying this to say, don't be ashamed to, to address the issue of sin and, and of judgment and hell. Um, the modern church is embarrassed about that, but we must not be. We must be true to the gospel. Jesus said in these verses, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And Jesus said, because this woman in, in this situation where she actually was another woman who, 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 I think, wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. Because she loved much, because she, like Mary, was extravagant in her love, that proves that she was forgiven much, you see. Uh, because the more you are forgiven, the more you will love. And the fact that she loved the Lord was a proof that she had received the grace of his grace of forgiveness by faith, and that was evidenced in her love. And whenever someone puts their trust in Christ, that will create love in their heart for him. Notice it goes on and says, But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And so if we play down, if we minimize the horror of sin and judgment, we will minimize the revelation of God's love for them. And that will cause them, that will rob them of the experience of his grace and love. And it will cause their response to God to be very weak. So it is a false thing to do. 
Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so when we paint the black background of the fact that we are sinners, then God's love, by comparison, shines all the brighter, you see, against the black background. When we believe and trust in his saving love, it results in us giving our hearts to him, surrendering our hearts to him, receiving him as our Lord and committing our lives to him as a response of love. You know, our response to Christ is compared to the betrothal of a woman to a man. And, and, and that tells us that love must be at the core. A genuine response to Christ must include love, which is our, 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 our giving our heart to him. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11.2, Paul says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So for a believer, they are, we are betrothed to Christ. And that means that we are in that love relationship, the bridegroom and the bride. But I fear, he says, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And he's talking about the simplicity means the pure devotion, single-minded devotion in Christ. So he says we are to be like that bride who is, has this pure devotion for, to Christ in, in love. And this devotion is created by the gospel through the, his, and it's through the gospel that Christ declares his wonderful saving love for us. And when we believe in his love for us, it creates love in our hearts for him so that we want to be with him. We want to be like him. We want to serve him. We want to glorify him. We want to be united to him forever. We look forward to that day when that union is, will be made perfect. And so involved in this conversion of the heart are the big three, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. In other words, there's the faith in Christ begets love for him, and that produces hope. That hope is the vision of the future, the vision of our glorious future with him. Uh, and that motivates us in our life now. We're motivated by that love and that vision for that future glory. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says, They themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. And so notice conversion is described here as a turning away from loving idols to loving and serving the living and true God. Not a, a change of religion, but coming into a love relationship with God. And that love relationship with God also has that future aspect. It says, verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so we have this, this vision that this love relationship with Jesus is only going to get better and better and better. And one day he is coming for us and that will be consummated and we will be with him forever. And he's going to deliver us from the wrath to come, which includes the tribulation. And this love of God began in eternity past when God chose us. And, and next time I'll go into this in more detail. But Jesus said, you did not choose me 
But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And so from eternity, God chose us. He wanted you, you in particular. Before he created the world, he chose you and he created a world that would involve you. And if you're a believer, it would be a world in which you gave your heart to him. He chose you. You are special to him. He wanted you for himself. God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you to myself. And so that's what the Bible means by election. And then God made a plan for you. He planned to do everything necessary to bring you to himself, the divine lover. And he called you to himself through the gospel. And he, his calling was him telling you how much he loved you, loves you, how special you are to him. So much so that he gave his life for you on the cross. He demonstrated his love to win your heart. He sacrificed himself. He shed his blood for you. He took the judgment of God for you. He paid the penalty for your sins. And then he rose again for you to give you a new life. And now in the gospel, he calls you and says, come to me, give your heart to me. I offer you salvation. I offer you eternal life. I offer you forgiveness. Just come to me and receive me as your head, as your Lord. And all, all that will be yours. And when we receive the gospel, the Bible says, then we are justified. And that means we're put into the right relationship with God. And all things are ours. We become sons of God, daughters of God. We have an inheritance in God. And the Bible says that once we're justified, we are now on a path called sanctification, where, where the Holy Spirit becomes stronger and stronger in our life and takes possession of us until our ultimate glorification. And it's a story of love from beginning to the end. He's loved you from eternity and he will love you forever. And what he wants from you is your heart. He wants your love. And once you start falling in love with him, then you become his disciple. And uh, that's what the gospel is all about. God wants your heart. In this series, we are really learning what it is to be a disciple of Jesus and, and understanding these things is what causes us to grow spiritually. And I've written a book called Growing Up Spiritually because God doesn't want us to stay babies. He wants us to grow strong in, in, as Christians. And so let me encourage you to have this book. Also, if you order the book, we'll send this to you free as well. It's the good news. It's my gospel booklet. It'd be great to refresh yourself in the gospel. And also you can use this to witness to others. Thank you for watching. Join with us at Oxford Bible Church every Sunday at 11am Greenwich Mean Time for our live stream service. Or join us at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. You can watch more of our teachings on our Roku channel and Derek Walker's YouTube channel. All Derek Walker's books are available in printed and Kindle versions in all Amazons worldwide or online with other great products, where you can also support our programs at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.